Well, it's uh, it's really an honor to be here with all of you, and uh, I'm just I was a bit shocked uh, and <laughs> surprised to have the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning in this way. And um, I that picture didn't come through right, but uh, it it says Whole Heart International. That's our organization. Um, we'll be able to talk a little more about that. But um, that picture is actually. Uh, northern Iraq. So most people, when they think of Iraq, they don't think of something that looks like that. Would that be true? Yeah. So um, we are in the north. And um, first of all, I just want to say um, it's been such a blessing to be a part of this uh, church through the years. It's been since the early uh, 2000s. And uh, we've had different levels of interaction as uh, early on. It was my wife and I as a couple and over the years as a family, different opportunities to serve. Um, But there's nothing that replaces um, being able to come to a place where you're known, where you can build relationship and where there's a a place where you can experience the presence of God. And so what's happening here is so special and um, and I realize that more and more, you know, as we're going different places and being somewhere else in the world. Um, so it's so amazing to be able to come back and reconnect to that. So what, what's happening here is special. Um, I just wanted to point that out as we go. Um, so what it, today is going to be a little bit of a like a show and tell. And so it's really an honor for me to be able to just kind of give you a glimpse into our world. Um, and like I said, I, there's so much to share, so be able to share more later um, at the lunch. But um, it'll be, uh, I'll be able to share some stories, and I'll also be able to interject. I feel there's specific things that God put on my heart to share with you today. And uh, so it's going to be kind of jumping back and forth or dancing through it. But first, I wanted to start and just show you um, where we are, give you context of where we are in, in Iraq. So you can see the green uh, highlighted part. That's the Kurdish area. It's an autonomous region that's in northern Iraq, and that's where you can see more of a mountainous area. So the yellow, the small little yellow dot, is the city that we live in, and that's the capital city. So it's Erbil. And um, so through the years, um, this is another shot. So the red line in this picture, that's traditionally where the Kurdish people had been found through the years. And uh, what happened is after World War II, um, when the Ottoman Turk Empire fell, uh, the, the powers that be that won, the British and others, they began to draw the lines of what we now know as the Middle East, the different countries. But they did it irrespective of people groups. So this Kurdish group, which it says they're the largest people group without a homeland. They got cut in between all of these countries, and wherever they went, whether that was Iraq or Syria or Turkey, Iran, they became uh, subjugated. So they've gone through a lot of suffering, and um, we learned this as we as we ended up there through the years. But there's approximately 35 to 40 million Kurds worldwide, and you can see the breakdown of the numbers of where they find themselves in different countries. And um, But the thing that's unique about where we're at in Iraq is that um, they, in their experience, so part of the thing, it wasn't just the Kurds that ended up in Iraq. It was, you know, there was... Uh, there was Christians there, ancient Christians, going back to so the Assyrians and the Chaldeans. These are ancient peoples. It goes very far back. 
And so some of even the Assyrians, their, their language is very close to Aramaic. So it's very similar to what Jesus would have been speaking. Um, and they're still speaking it today. And then you have a, a large um, Muslim population that are Shia and, and also a Muslim population that are Sunni. And that's where you see a lot of the conflict. So they're all in this country vying for power and position and place and recognition. There was a period of time where Saddam Hussein, you know, we know him very well. He, he had a very tight grip on the, on the country, but he was strongly persecuting the Kurdish people. Many of them had to flee to the mountains and then into Iran or Turkey. So many of the people that are in leadership or power now in this autonomous region of Kurdistan, they know what it's like to be displaced. They know what it's like to be a refugee. And so they actually, this incredible part of their nature of what God made them to be, this amazing hospitality, they've opened their area up. And so many different people have come through. So as of 2011, there's 2.2 million people that came in to their region. So that was um, Syrian refugees or people that were displaced from the ISIS crisis uh, from other parts of Iraq. They came in. And... um, So right now, another statistic, the second point there, currently one in four people are refugees or displaced, um, and it makes up 20% of the population in the Kurdish area. So everyone you bump into, you're bumping into these people that um, their whole lives have been turned up around and they've experienced hospitality. Um, So as of December 2023, that's not that long ago, there's still over 270,000 uh, refugees, 180,000 displaced people. So that's um, where we found ourselves. I'm going to tell a little bit about how we got there. But before I go any further, I just want to mention, as I'm sharing, uh, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to share about our experience, our family, uh, with many of you that we know. Um, but what I don't want to do, my hope in this, is is not to be... Uh, I don't want in any way that this is like, well, look at these superheroes, these super people. Um, I don't want, it's not about us being glorified or lifted up on a pedestal. Really, my heart is that I want to show you that, you know, we're imperfect people, we're an imperfect family, and we're just walking a path that God has shown us. And, and there's themes through what I'm sharing you today, with you today. And one of the main themes is about yes, it's about giving God your yes. And so this journey started way back for me and for our family of how to walk out uh, a yes to God. And what I believe is going to happen today, my heart, what I'm expecting of is that God sent me here to, to share a message that you know might get your attention because it's out of the ordinary. But it's about um, the Lord raising our awareness here of we're called to Iraq, but everyone's called to something different. And raising that awareness of what is it that God's looking for you. He has an invitation for you, and he's drawing out something. He's, draw, he's wanting to draw out the yes for you, to join him in an adventure. We, we ended up in a crazy adventure, and there's an adventure that he has for each of us. So even right now, I'm going to pray. Lord, I just pray that you would, right now, as I'm sharing, open the eyes of our heart. Open the ears of our heart. What are you wanting to highlight? What are you wanting to make us aware of what what the invitation you have in each of our lives? And um, yeah, I just pray, raise our awareness right now to your voice and your presence in Jesus' name. So 10 years 
it's been 10 years now, as of this month, that our family's been engaged in northern Iraq. Um, I'm just going to put this slide up for a moment as I talk about how we ended up there. Um, really, it's about, you know, like I said, it happened this process years and years ago. And it's especially an unexpected miracle for me personally that we ended up in Iraq or that we have anything to do with Iraq, especially me. And the reason being is because um, what I call it, uh, I'm a recovering addict. And it's not the type of addiction that you're thinking of. It wasn't substance abuse, but it was more in line with um, addicted to self, uh, addicted to like self-life, self-focus. Um, and, you know, honestly, we're all susceptible to that because of the fall of man, because of sin being introduced. In our sin nature, we have this natural orientation to be uh, looking at life through, like, how is this going to benefit me? And um, some of us are worse at hiding it than others, but the reality is that it affects us all, and we're all constantly drawn to it. And it's sort of like, you know, when you type in a GPS, you want to get somewhere. Um, so in life, you know, it's like we're trying to interact and, and engage and do different things. And if we have the wrong real setting in our heart of trying to find fulfillment, trying to find connection or, or purpose in something that's really tied into self, we're going to end up in, in the wrong place every time. We need to have our, our, uh, our GPS oriented first to God, and then it helps us to see others. And then out of that comes purpose, fulfillment, identity, all those things. So I learned that um, somewhat the hard way because what it, it looked like for me, selfishness in my life early on had to do with surfing. I grew up in this area and I just fell in love with surfing. And there were so many amazing things that were connected to that that weren't necessarily all bad. But the problem was the orientation of my heart, I wasn't yielded to the Lord. My orientation wasn't, you know, connect with him and figure out what, you know, go, go from there. It was, it became this thing, you know, I did have a connection with the Lord um, along the way. I did find a, a, a journey that I had for a season of time where I was connected. There was healthy things happening. But like so many of us, there's a lot of options that are given. There's a lot of things that are coming our way. And now with social media, you know, it's like you got your, your iPhone. You know, it's all about us. Your iPhone, your YouTube, you know, you got your selfie. It's like everything is like, and, and there's these economies and, and things that are built around tying into our convenience and, and things that build us up. And we can, so if, we're, if we don't have the right orientation, we get lost. And so what happened for me is that I had, you know, at the end of high school, I had a lie come into my life that had to do with um, uh, basically there would be more fulfillment in my life if I had a girlfriend. And so I, let, I entertained that one for a while, and I, and I had a relationship with a girl, and she, but her orientation was different. She didn't have the same values. And so as I stayed in that relationship, I, I compromised. And over time, it was like I took this journey away from the Lord, and I let other things into my life. And then pretty soon I didn't interact with God. I didn't have a relationship. At the end of that road, I it ended in depression because I'm a child of God. You know, and I'm not I'm only going to find fulfillment connected to him. So it was, you know, it didn't end well. And what ended up I lived out aspects of the, the prodigal son's story. 
Um, so what happens is when you invest in sin, you reap. And um, uh, there's a couple of passages here. Um, I'm looking for, hopefully I can find the GPS in my notes and not be lost here. Um, yeah, so sin is pleasurable for a season. And there's a passage here in um, in Hebrews that talks about that. Um, did it come up? No. There we go. Sorry, this is new to me, you know, all of this stuff. So working through it here. Um, yes, so by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And um, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So this is the choice that we're bombarded with every day. And uh, I say I'm a recovering addict because at any moment I could slip back into this perspective. And so for each of us, each day we have to make a choice. Are we going to align with God? Or are we going to give in to some of these different things? And so what's interesting about that passage is where, um, if we could bring it back, it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. In different versions, it talks about um, sin is pleasurable for a season. So it's talking about something where we tap in and we're trying to feed ourselves something selfishly. Um, and it, it's passing. It's temporal. It's not going to last. And the, the downside of that is the flip side on the other back end is that there's all these consequences. And there's, there's more pain and brokenness that generally ends up there. And if you contrast that with um, what's mentioned in Psalm 16:11, where it says, um, yeah, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So when we connect to God, um, it's more than that in this, that what's mentioned in this passage. We get connected with perspective. We're able to see ourselves rightly. We're able to see the world around us rightly. And, and then we have joy in his presence. We get connected with him. And automatically that comes with fruits, the fruits of who he is. Um, all the fruits of the Spirit, that's what happens when you connect with the Lord. And a big one of those is joy. But the cool thing, too, is that this goes on. We get it now, and it just builds for eternity. So we have a choice. We have eternal pleasures, or we have, we have fleeting pleasures. And um, so, you know, also in Matthew 16.25, this is kind of a prerequisite. Jesus is highlighting the fact that uh, if we want to save our life, it's like sand through an hourglass, like it's just going, you know, in that sense of like we're grasping for things that aren't going to remain. And we, if we're trying to hang on to it, we're going to lose it. But there's this biblical paradox, upside down life, upside down world, that when we choose to engage God and let go, he, um, he gives us eternal life. We gain it again in a different way. Um, and also Mark 8.36, it says... What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit, forfeit their soul? Um, and lastly, I'll just mention John 10. So this is what uh, you can recognize the fruit of what we're investing in our lives. These, this uh, passage is talking about the mission statement of Jesus and Satan side by side and also the fruit. So whatever we're investing in, if we see destruction, if we see things kind of just being stolen from us, then you can see that that's the, the enemy has his hand in that. But when there's life and when there's fulfillment, this is what Jesus came to bring. So the reason um, 
I'm mentioning that is because as I talked before about this concept of, of a yes, um, this is how we eventually ended up in Iraq. Um, so I had, I had this yes. At the end of that prodigal son experience, I had to decide, am I going to continue in this path or am I going to be open to the fact that, that maybe the things that I tasted early on before I went and pursued these, these other things... Um, that I could have that again. I had, a, I had a simple relationship with God, but there was joy and peace there. And, and then I pursued and I attained some things. And that was actually harder because I attained some of the things I went after, but I realized they weren't helping me. They weren't filling that void. So it was a little bit more confusing in that point. But when I got past the lie that because I chose to walk away from God and do my own thing, that God wouldn't receive me back, uh, when I when I moved out of that place and I said, well, I, I just want him no matter what. I'm going to just open my heart. He came and he he forgave me. He filled me with peace. And then I started to get connected with the reality that God doesn't just save us to save us. I mean, if that was the case, we would just eject to heaven right away. He 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 saves us so that we could join him in what he's doing. You know, when he was. When he, he was on, here on earth, he said, I'm the light of the world. He was a bright light shining into darkness. As he was ascending and leaving, he's given the great commission to go and, and teach and do what he said. And he's also saying, now you are the light of the world. So he's putting that in us so that we can participate and be about what he's doing. And that's where fulfillment is. And um, so I started saying yes to God. Like I let him in. He, he helped me. In that way, and there was other areas of my life I just started to engage. I, I went to YWAM. I was open to that sense of, of missions, and I I became connect after that connected with a youth group, and uh, eventually that youth pastor went on and started a church, and and I felt that thing in me like the next yes was to step up and take on that youth group and start leading it, which I'd never led anything in my life. It was terrifying, but I stepped into that place, and all of a sudden. All those mistakes and things that I made along the way, God used it all. He started to turn beauty for ashes and things that I thought, what a waste of my life. He goes, no, I can use it all. So I started sharing with these young guys, and, and it became very fruitful. And then eventually I started taking them on trips down to Mexico, which was a whole other terrifying thing. I hadn't led myself into other parts of the world, let alone taking these whole groups. But it became very, very um, life-giving. And so... You know, it went on and on, and, and eventually it got to the point where, you know, I'm married, and the Lord led us to a, um, a crisis response ministry. It was Crisis Response International. So the heart behind it was to go to these different places and offer, offer practical help, but use that as an opportunity to be in people's lives and share real life, real hope. And so um, we had some training that happened through that. We went nationally and internationally. And so all the while, like these yes that, that God, you know, these invitations and these yeses and stepping in, it led us to new places and, um, and equipping. Eventually what happened, we were part of that organization and it, it joined with YWAM. We did a crisis response DTS. The outreach uh, was into Kurdistan. So we end up there. We're, we're part of leading a team. We've got two young kids. And we just begin to fall in love with the people. I was encountering some of my prejudices as, I, as we're meeting with people in the tents, I didn't know that I had prejudices, but they, they started to pop up. And some of my thinking was, well, maybe these people, maybe living in this camp is not different, that different from what they were doing before. 
maybe they had a very simple village life or you know whatever it was, but um, we're asking them, what can we do for you? How can we help you practically? And, and then I, I just encountered this amazing hospitality, and they said, you know, we don't want anything. We're just so happy that someone's coming to sit with us and talk with us. And it just meant so much to give relationally. And then all of a sudden I'm finding out these people, you know, maybe they were doctors or lawyers, and they had properties. They had lives, and their lives just became reduced. And then, you know, they have hardly anything, and they're just opening up and giving us everything they have with a smile. And so it just gripped my, my heart and my wife's heart. So we, we did that trip. We came back to another trip. Our thinking was that it was going to be, you know, like a month-long trip. Um, lead a team for a couple weeks, connect with the people that we have met along the way. So we did that, but in the middle of our just connecting with people, this whole thing happened with ISIS. And pretty soon the area that we were in, we were already there connecting with Syrians. There were so many of them there, but these, uh, the area just started getting flooded with, um, with other people being displaced. And at that time, it was just my family and I. We were actually pretty wiped out. We were tired because we had just been pouring out. And, um, but we had a decision to make. You know, we could, in fear, say, this is getting scary, and we could have ejected. But there was something in our heart. I felt an invitation from the Lord to remain with these people that we just met that are becoming you know, more than friends. Like, we're really connected with them. And we say, you know, we're either going to stay here and be with them um, and help them. This is their time of need. They need help. Or, you know, eject. And so we said yes to stay. It turned into... Uh, it actually turned into about a year of being there. And, and what it meant was that we, we started opening up for other people to come, bring a resource. We rented a house. We hired local staff. And we had teams of people. And this picture here um, is the one on the, on, behind me on my right. It's, uh, that was the first moment where we, we were sitting with a bunch of people that came, and they had evacuated out of Mosul, and they're just processing you know, what life's going to be like. And our training was, this is the time where we go and we respond. We go into what's happening, and we meet people where they're at and their need. And some of these guys were like, what do you mean? Like, you want us to go with you back to where, like, that's closer to ISIS. We just left there. We don't really want to go there. We're like, no, this is how it works. Trust us. And, uh, and the thing of, you know, in the, in the context there, what, the, what they've experienced, a lot of the traditional Christians' evangelism, it just became really dangerous for them. So it wasn't something that was like a normal experience. And we're like, no, no, like if you go out and you love people and you share truth, like they'll change, like something will happen. And, and so we started doing this and it was like we were meeting all these different people that had come in and different groups that needed things. We would share practical things with them, but we would share the reason for our hope. And we saw people heavily impacted, and it was so fun. So this was the, the very beginning of that. And, and we didn't have a big budget in the beginning. We had cold water. You know, these people are waiting at a border checkpoint to come into our region, and they're waiting there. Summer heat's like over 100 degrees, and, and they're just there for hours. And so we're like, a cup of cold water means something in the Bible. So we brought cold water and some snacks. And then out of that, it just we had teams, we had resources, and it went on and on. And it was amazing. But... We learned something also very valuable, which is it had to do with burnout, <laughs> because we just gave and gave, and um, and even though we had taught about um, the importance of rest and the importance of um, 
boundaries, over time we began to just move past those things, and um, and it was very difficult. And so, um, before I go into more of that, I wanted to say one thing about what was key in that time for us. You know, ISIS at one point was trying to come into the city that we were in. And we didn't find out about it. It was actually our son's birthday party, birthday. And during the party, we found out because all the people we were inviting started calling us and saying, we, we're going to leave. Um, we just wanted to tell you, we're sorry, we can't come. We got the, the um, news to evacuate. And I said, really? Like, what's happening? And they said, you know, ISIS is trying to come in. And we're, you know, we're going to be packing. But if you come to our place, we can say bye. So I'm walking up the stairs of this guest house to go meet them. And I, I hear a voice, and I feel a hand on my heart. And uh, the Lord basically is talking to me, and he says, um, other people are going to leave, and that's okay, but you're going to stay. And I was like, oh. But I, the thing that happened is that like, his hand on me came with this intense peace. And um, if it wasn't for that, it would be very different, because my normal reaction would not be to stay. Um, and so eventually out of that decision to stay, I had to wrestle a bit to keep in that place of peace, but ISIS never came in and we gained incredible trust by staying. Uh, the people saw us and they said, what? An American family with kids stayed and many of the locals were leaving. So that was not my normal course of action. It was because of we, I have a place to hear the Lord, and he directed us what to do. The, part of the reason I bring that up is, you know, our world is getting more and more scary and chaotic and unpredictable. You know, you look around, even what's happening in Iraq right now, there's still, it's getting more intense, and um, we're monitoring it, but we're going to follow that same principle. We're going to follow the voice of the Lord, what he shows us to do, and how to walk it out. And um, I'm saying that as well because it's been our experience that those times of chaos and crisis, um, the Lord is not going to leave you. The main thing is to keep cultivating now that place of hearing his voice. He's not going to leave you. He's going to guide you. He's going to show you what to do. And there's huge opportunity in crisis. It's, it's like people, the things that they're relying on, the props get knocked out. And it's a huge opportunity to come in and give them something that won't be moved, something that's stable, something that's eternal. And um, amen? Yeah, so you can do it. You can do it. You can build a life with God where he's going he's gonna to guide you. He's going to show you what to do. And he's going to connect you with other people, too, that have skill, resource, understanding, and how to help um, direct you. So I wanted to mention just a thing about um, burnout. So here's the thing about crisis. It's a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity to walk out what Jesus said. Someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he, and he, what did he say? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the good news is any of us can do this. He can show us. Any of us can do this. The hard part in crisis, well, one easy thing is that like the need's everywhere. But the hard part is how to navigate it without it totally swallowing you. And so that's what we, what we started to experience. You know, we burnt out. And one of the things that was so life-giving, it came back. So it's huge to like open up and be 
to make space for relationship. So I'll just say it this way. It's going to cost you to extend yourself and open up your life to other people. It's going to cost you something. But it's also going to cost you if you don't. And it's like this, like exercise. Yeah, it's going to cost you some energy, some time, some effort, some soreness. But there's benefits. If you don't do it, it's going to cost you too. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is that we had invested in years in relationship. When we burnt out and we were in a rough place, it was so amazing to come back and to sow into and plug into relationship. And we have an opportunity, each of us, to do like this interaction that God gives us in the family of God. It's life-giving. We have a chance when we give, it's life-giving. And then there's times we need something, and it's life-giving. And Brent was up here a little bit ago. Brent has poured his life out here in relationship. And when he was in a time of need, how hard would it be if he didn't have people there? But he had a whole community. And um, so when we came back, one of the things that was so helpful is Kent Larson back there. You guys know Kent. You can wave, Kent. Um, it was such a blessing to come back. And, you know, it was like somewhat he'd been on the journey a little bit, but he had this um, connection with Life Model. And um, and he's like, hey, I got this thing. Maybe just let's just pray for a while. I want to show you this. And I, so one of the challenges being in the situation that we were in where there's you know, threats to our life in a sense and, and just unpredictability and scary, I had built like a self-protective shell around my heart. And um, in one sense, like I sort of numbed out. And in w- some ways, like it helped me function. But the, the bad part is that when I need, I need, it kept bad stuff out sort of, but when I needed good stuff to come in, I, there was no way to let it in. And, um, and I didn't know how to let it down. But this Emmanuel prayer, how many people know about Emmanuel prayer? Yeah. So if you don't know, look at someone that has their hand raised. Because here, I know Brent's heavily involved in Kent still. Such an amazing tool uh, to connect with God. He's here now, and you can access interaction with him now. And, um, so, and it helps healing, which is great. But it also helps building a lifestyle of being connected to God. And so... So in this short amount of time with Kent, um, I had these interactions, and it was like these images with Jesus. And basically, he was showing me, I was there, I know what you're going through, and it's going to be okay. And it's like, you know, like dreams, how they, things happen, and it's not words, but you just know. And he did, like, in this interaction, I mean, I don't even know if it was 15 minutes long, maybe 10 minutes. I had such a powerful interaction with the Lord and he unlocked my heart. And it was so key because it put me on a road of, of being able to hear and receive. And the biggest thing was that the Lord was calling us back to Iraq. And if I, my heart was like walled like that, I don't know if it would have happened. So one of the cool things, we went back. We uh, eventually formed our own organization. The organization we were with didn't continue. But um, that led us into all these different interactions. We went there with the heart just to be open and to serve and we had um, a lot of aid and relief. We were hosting teams, going into camps. We were doing all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was awesome. Um, eventually, I'll just show you some more pictures of my family. So in this time, we started with two, and then we had three, and then we had a couple more kids there. And so we're doing life. So just side note, the top picture, we have a horse there. Um, one thing I was going to mention, you know, Psalms. 37.4 or 34.7, you know, when you um, delight in the Lord and you just 
open your heart and go his way, his promise is that he's going to lead you into the desires of your heart. And it's that whole thing. Seek first God's kingdom and he's going to add the rest. You know, us trying to make our own way and do our own thing, it's just not the same. And so what's cool is we have this horse. It was a rescue. And my wife, she grew up in Arizona, so her background was horses. And But um, but we're starting to train the horse a little bit. So this is something you can help pray with us about. We would love to um, have that build out. And in a minute, I'm going to show you some of the children we're interacting with. But... Um, we would love to build it out in a way that kids that have gone through traumatic things can come into some equine therapy and some great relationships. So uh, my wife's done a great job to train the horse where it's somewhat safe to have our kids on them right now. Um, so that's part of the adventure. Our kids are in an international school. Um, they're learning French. It's just been so amazing to um, see them grow up in a different context. Um, so the thing about, well, I was talking about opening your heart, making a space to be available for relationship. The reason I bring this picture up, these are some of our friends that we've connected with. And, and one of, a, um, we, like I said, we were there for a lot of years. We were doing a lot of work, and, and it was great. We were getting tired. But one of the things we learned about was um, after we fell apart was that about boundaries uh, we needed to set some boundaries in place. We needed to learn about pace, and we needed to add things for fun and rest in, in our lives. And so we got invited, the picture where there's water, we got invited to a trip, a camping trip with some friends. We didn't really know the people, but we grabbed, like, all of our friends were like, we're going camping. And we went to this beautiful place, camped on a river, and we started meeting some of these folks. And um, most of them are Kurdish, but um, they'd had experiences being out of the country. And... Um, and pretty soon, we, we formed this group. We called it the Adventure Group. And we were like, all right, what are we doing next weekend? You know. And so we started doing things together in our city and then going out. And eventually, we got this idea, like, let's rent a little place that's out more in, in the mountains. And, and we'll just go there and launch out from there. And so, so what happened over time is that these relationships built and this trust began to build and this connection built. And... Um, and so pretty soon we had people that are attached to our family, and it's like these people have become family. And um, not, they're not all believers, and they're at different places in their journey. But what we've done is opened up our life and made space for them. And, just, um, and one of the friends, they stayed with us in the States, which was really cool to bring them here and show them our world. And um, at the end of the trip, she said, well, first I'll say this. St. Francis of Assisi, one of the quotes that he's famous for is that preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. And, um, and so that's something that we're learning how to walk out right now. And I'll just say this too. You know, our lives are speaking a message. So people, yeah, they might hear what you say, but they're going to watch what you do. And so what message is our lives speaking? And... Um, so what happened, this lady at the end of her time in the States with us, she was so animated and she said, you know, one of the things I just love about um, my time with you, she just said, wherever you go, you're the same. And, and I was like, okay. But she was really animated. And I just said, okay, well, the same. Like, of course we're the same. And she goes, no. She's like, when you're at home, like when you're with this group, with that group. What I realized in the culture there, it's a shame-honor culture. There's a lot of pressure on what you do. So in each setting, like if you step out of line a little bit, you could move into the place of shame, shaming your family, shaming whoever. 
And when you get into that camp, it's really hard to regain um, your your uh, reputation. So it just stood out to us. You know, they're watching, and we're imperfect. We're imperfect. And so part of the thing that we can do when we're when we have people watching our lives, because we're imperfect, it's a huge opportunity. If we make a mistake, we we try to clean it up. We just humble ourselves. We apologize. And we, we try to make our way through it. Um, so anyways, uh, what happened with this whole group is that it wasn't our plan. We weren't seeking this. But many of the people in this group are connected to very influential or they have very influential roles in the society. And um, one of them, I'll just mention, uh, his, the guy's brother's a general. So in the picture where there's a guy in the center that has uh, like a black um, outfit on, he is over a huge region. Um, he, was a, he was a general that was over a huge region. Now he's more like a senator. And he has a very benevolent heart. And so what we've been doing is we've been wanting to just help the community that lost family members, um, due, like the husbands or fathers, due to ISIS, the war. And so because he was already doing that, he's connected us with a number of families. And our heart is to even open a center. There's a whole community of people there that... Um, a big population that are in that place that are vulnerable. And so that's something you can pray for us about is just how to navigate that. Um, another thing that has been happening that we're doing is that um, we do workshops. And it's it's very similar to uh, Life Model or Thrive and, and uh, even Emmanuel Prayer. The things that I learned to help me navigate, we're implementing that in our community. It started with wanting to reach the refugees and displaced people and we had some content we wanted to test out with English speakers. And we found that there's a huge population of workers there that um, they really resonated. They had a need for it. They were burning out or they just needed perspective. They needed a safe place. And so we started doing that. And we also started um, doing training about critical incident uh, debriefing. So uh, we had a guy come in. He's an expert. You know, when people get have shootings or um, really intense, um, like, Situations. The, the YWAM, uh, he, he's someone in YWAM that they would call. And so he had t- tons of experience. We didn't realize that a couple months later we were going to use all of those things because there was a fire in a community not far from us at a wedding. Over 100 people died, and the whole community was just rocked. So the other picture where the guy's doing a selfie, we brought these people in, and we just started working through and giving them space to process and, and giving them tools and praying for them. So that was so fun. Um, I'm going to show you a short video. We could go to a short video real quick. Um, and I'll just say, we um, through relationship, we have an opportunity now where we're doing a drama therapy program. And I'll just give you a quick tidbit on that. I'll say a little bit more, and then I'm coming in for a landing. a music therapist who works with refugee and IDP children. And I want to tell you about an amazing program that is changing the lives of children who have been displaced by war in Iraq. The Listening Stone program is an eight-week children's program written by British drama therapist Donna Jennings that offers a safe, therapeutic, playful, and creative space for children who may have experienced trauma, loss, or bereavement. 
Here in Northern Iraq, this program is run as a partnership between Whole Heart International and For the Love of a Child UK. Along with our dedicated team, we engage with internally displaced children using all of the expressive arts, as well as play, the language of children. Each session includes games, a check-in time where every child has a chance to express how they're feeling, a story time, arts and crafts, a healthy snack, and music. The program follows the fictional story of Little No Name, an orphan who embarks on a quest to find a magical seashell called the Listening Stone. This story helps children to develop empathy, as many of them can relate to Little No Name's losses and struggles. The story also explores themes of friendship, courage, and self-worth. In an environment where so much violence and destruction has taken place, it can be easy to feel stuck in a cycle of hopelessness. But for every one of these children, the chance to feel seen, heard, and loved can be absolutely life-changing. By providing a safe space for these children to express themselves and process difficult emotions, we're showing them that they matter. We're helping them to know deep in their hearts that they are not alone, that they are precious, and that no matter their past or present, they will always have a hope and a future. Not used to that. Uh, yeah, just um, I can share more there because I want to be sensitive. We're coming to a close here, but um, what you saw there, um, it was through opening our hearts and having a space for people to come. Uh, like all of our teammates and even this program to come to Iraq and, and affect the lives of those kids. You know, like I said, we don't have in this setting, we don't have freedom to share the way we normally would because it's we're an organization. It's run by the U.N. So they were even checking on us. But we have this amazing parable that's tying in about about the Holy Spirit, this listening stone that, you know, it's always there for them. It's it's always listening and it'll never leave them. And so it's a stepping stone. And these kids are beginning to grab a hold of something real and recognizing that they they are precious we're giving them specific time help and learning 
giving them the ability to learn how to have healthy interactions and receive and give love. And so it's super fun. Um, yeah, so if you are wanting to hear more and you're wanting to, you know, in some way get involved with what we're doing, there's cards out there if you're not able to be at the lunch today. Um, but I'm going to make my way over there, and I'd love to talk with you more. But just in closing, I was going to say we're going to have a ministry time, so I would love for the the band uh, to come up. And um, there was a few things I was thinking. There's a few kind of uh, camps that maybe we could be in. And just going back to that thing of having a yes in our heart. Um, and I actually just was, you know, something that's happened here that Pastor Mike had shared a story um, it, it's it's marked me, and it's been something how we've operated there. And it has to do with when he had that encounter with Mother Teresa, and he was like, you know, what what do I do where I'm at? And she told him, she said, to look, to see, and to do something about it. And um, and that's something all of us can do. And so the whole thought of looking is getting our eyes to the Lord. That's where we get perspective, and then we can see, and then He can give us courage to go do it. And um, I feel like in this time right now, um, as I'm talking about that yes in our heart, you could be, you know, in a few camps, you could be, maybe you're in a camp of being discouraged, that you've tried to step out and you were wanting to have it look a certain way. Maybe you had some expectations and you got discouraged in an area and it's hard for you to want to go back and and try that again or to trust God to step out. Um, It didn't go as planned. And maybe you're kind of like Peter and the disciples, like you just kind of left that area of your life. You went back fishing. But I just want to say through this message, I believe the Lord, it's like him walking on the shore and he's inviting you back again to get engaged. Um, Another one could be um, maybe you're resistant. Maybe you know the area God's calling you to go. Like for me, I'm like, Iraq, what are you talking about? I'm I'm just going to surf like I'm not going to no landlocked place, you know. Maybe there's something that the Lord's highlighting and you look at it and you're like, that is so weird. Like I have, I do, I have no desire to do that. But the Lord keeps bringing it up and your heart is kind of like, I don't want to. I just want to encourage you. The Lord knows you better than yourself. On the other side of that yes, on the other side of that door is he has blessing. He has fulfillment. He has something for you. And so maybe that's you today. The Lord's bringing that up. And I just encourage you, take a dip in that water. Open your heart and move towards him. The last thing would be your heart is open, but you just don't know where you have a yes, but you're kind of not sure, you know, where do I go with this? And um, and I would just encourage you that whole thing of, you know, to look to see and do something about it as you build that connection with the Lord He's going to show you. He's going to show you what it is. And so I was just going to have Mike come up and um, just lead us into a ministry time. Like I said, if you wanted to connect more with me, we're going to do that lunch in the the ministry room. Um, I'd love to see you there.